What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, my loves. This week's guest is Emily Gindelsparger. So Emily is a ghostwriter and book coach at Scribe Media and the author of Please Make Me Love Me, a memoir. We chatted with Emily. This was a really fun conversation. It went all kinds of places. We spoke with Emily about the process of opening her long-term relationship and the mistakes and triumphs along the way. I've cracked this book. I've gotten I've gotten halfway through and I got to say listeners, it's a real it's a real one. It really captures a, the experience of opening a relationship. So if you if you're curious about it, this is a great resource. If you've had some experience and you, you want to relive some of those painful mistakes, this is a great book, but Either way, this conversation was really lovely, lovely guest, and uh, and I can't wait for you to hear it. We love you. We'll see you on the other side. Ah, oh. <laughs> you know what I love doing? Reading memoirs. Um, you know what? I, I've only, I've actually, to be honest with you, Brady, I've only read, I think, one memoir in my entire life. Um, I want to say it's the guy that you, you love. You definitely guess it. Oh, is it Sam White? No. Uh, what? No, that's not that's not his name. Sam White. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> Jack White. <laughs> oh, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. It's um, uh, Anthony Kiedis's uh, memoir. Um, yeah, I mean, what really, it's just a book. from uh, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. It's just a book about sex, drugs, <laughs> and rock and roll. Really. Okay. Um, but uh, but I was going to say I love talking to people who are really good with words. 
Oh. And what's really interesting is today we're speaking with uh, Emily Gindelsberger. Did I pronounce that correct? All right, Job. sweet. Nailed yeah. it. Um, Where's where that name from? Uh, it is Swiss German Amish Mennonite. Wow. <laughs> okay. What a blend. And, and then like across the Atlantic and <laughs> convoluted into many variations. Yeah. Yeah, right. Is it a is it a is it a role? Like, is it like do you go see the Gindelsparger when you need like new <laughs> new shoes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would love if I knew that. There is a I, I suspect it's related to a similar variation on this name, which is Kindle Starker, which is like a fire tender. Ah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fire so starter. I, I would like to think that I'm a fire starter. That's what I tell myself. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I would lean into that for sure. That's great. Um so I got a copy and I'm not sure if it's an advanced copy or if the book is out already, it but is. I did have a, ch- okay, great. I did have a chance actually with this one to get about halfway through and I couldn't, st- I honestly, I couldn't stop once I started. Yeah. Um, this book friends is called, please make me love me a memoir. Great name. Yeah. Great name. Thank you. Um, the thing that I'm so excited about, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm ex- I'm excited about the part that like really do- isn't isn't that important in in the in the context of the conversation that I we're having I, today. I but I'm so excited about the fact that we're talking to a ghost writer. I know. I was thinking oh, the same thing. Yeah. What a yeah. fucking cool job! I so it like is a cool job. <laughs> can we just get that out of the way first so that I can just like my brain can settle? But uh, for people who don't know, uh, Emily, please uh, let us know what what is a ghost writer? What does a ghost writer do? Yeah. So ghostwriter is someone who does the writing craft for an author who doesn't, uh, there are many circumstances under which people don't want to write their own books. And uh, we ghostwriters step in to help with that. And typically it's with a bunch of interviews, really getting to know that person and their work on a very deep level, and then writing a draft of their book and guiding the author to revise it and make it their own. Very cool. I'm going to find a way to weave this into uh, into Please Make Me Love Me, a memoir which Emily wrote. <laughs> um, but I, the thing that I, the thing that I'm, I'm just like dying to know. So, okay, let, let me phrase it this way: Doing podcasting, you know, we've been doing this for about six years. My other podcast, Sick Boy, we've been doing that for like seven years, coming up on eight. And one of the one of the best parts about podcasting, you know, facilitating hour ish long conversations on a almost daily basis. I'm constantly inundated with information and stories from really interesting people, right? So it could be it could be someone who's a sex therapist that focuses on um, you know bondage or paraphilia. So the next day I could be speaking to you know a, a health researcher who's doing research into um, you know psychedelic assisted therapy, um, or the next day we could be talking to someone who's gone through you know uh, a, a, a recent cancer diagnosis. And over time, I'm just like, I feel like my, my brain is just being pumped full of these like fascinating, interesting stories. And so as a ghostwriter, you know, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't want to assume, but I'm, I'm guessing that you're probably doing this task for not just like the same type of uh, would-be author, like the, not, not the same mm-hmm. like subject matter. You're probably getting a bunch of different things that you're, you're kind of having to like almost as like an investigative journalist, like sink yourself into what are some of the things that you've like 
you know, some of the topics that you've ghostwritten, I'm sure you, I'm, I guess there's probably, you're probably not allowed to say which books you've written or something there, but <laughs> not for most of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. So like, what, but what are some like subject matter uh, that you've like kind of dived into that you, you just thought, wow, this is really not something I've ever really thought I'd be diving into so deeply, but uh, oh. here I am. Yeah. Uh, so many, I mean, that what you were just describing is the thing that I love most about my job. I, I joke that it's like, it's just like constant graduate school. Like I'm basically always taking a graduate <laughs> level course in someone's, <laughs> someone's lifetime wisdom and then writing a dissertation on it kind of. Um, and I, as you were ticking off, like therapist who does BDSM, you know, focus and, uh, psychedelics, like I've written a book on every one of the topics that you listed. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, um, and also like the future of tech and like looking at how the, the great minds that are pushing tech forward are thinking about their visions for the future and, and what all the implications are. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just really fascinating to get to inhabit so many different worlds and so many different brains. And is there, is there a trick to, you know, um, Say, say, you know, say you're writing, you're writing one for someone who's, who's focused on, and their life work is on psychedelics. And then you're writing one, uh, for somebody who's really just telling their own like life story or something like, is there, is there a, a sort of technique that you use to try to capture their writing voice so that it does seem like these were the words that came from their pen or like, how, like, how does that, how does that whole thing work about trying to capture someone's essence in their writing, even though it's a lot of the content is coming from, from you. It's, it's very sophisticated and magical. I listen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I wish I had like, I wish I had an easier way to, to sum it up because it is a little bit more um, like deep listening and really truly understanding a person's meaning takes a lot of skill. Mm. Um, And so I don't mean to be glib about that, but it's, it comes from listening to not just the words and the content that someone's saying, which like, I'm usually working from transcripts of our conversations, you know, so I have their exact wording in front of me, Mm. but also listening to the cadence of their voice and the tone of it and when they get passionate about things and and what links they're making. I mean, there's so, what I've learned about working with so many words is that there's so much nonverbal communicating that we're doing all of the time. And so trying to listening listen to all the layers of that and then figure out how to bring sort of the true meaning together from all these like different channels of verbal and nonverbal meaning is really fun. Now. Okay. So here's my question and in, in how we're going to like tie this back. So it doesn't sound like I was just being selfish. (laughs) No, I wanted to, I, that's why I highlighted (laughs) all of those words in the show notes that I sent you. Cause I was like, we're going to talk about ghostwriting. So, so my, I I guess the, the way I'll kind of try to tie this in here is, um, you're no, you're no stranger to writing. You're no stranger mm-hmm. to writing, you know, stories. And, um, and so maybe as a bit of like, for a bit of context, um, did you, have you always assumed that one day you would publish your own book with your own name? Or, you know, were you, were you mostly just following this, this train of ghostwriting because that's the thing that you were passionate about. And it wasn't until after you started telling all these other stories that you thought, fuck, you know what? Like I've got a story on my hands that I think I need to put out there. What was the, like, what was the transitioning period of going, I'm going to write this for me, from me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was 
terrifying first and foremost. I mean, there is, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at my game in toast in ghostwriting. Like I'm at a, a fairly elite level. I work with really amazing people and I get to cherry pick what I do and it's, it's awesome. And so then to pull back and, and say, I'm going to put my name on something that is not your thoughts and your words filtered through your personality, but like me as transparently as I can give myself and that that's going to be a reflection of the quality of my writing and the quality of my thinking and, and all of this stuff. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying. Um, but to get more directly to your question, I did always think that I would write a book. I thought though, that it was going to be fiction. I have like mm. four different drafts of this fiction novel that I worked on forever. Um, and I thought that that's what I was, I was going to put out into the world for fun as a project. And then the more authors that I worked with, specifically the more authors that I worked with who were writing memoirs and coaching them to be vulnerable with their stories and really like go deeper and get to these like human truths that serve us all. I was like, damn it. I want to be doing that. Like, I want to figure out how to also do that. And, um, it's scary as hell. And I feel like I, I kind of borrowed the courage from the people, the authors that I worked with, like borrowed, watching them and coaching them through that process to be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to also show up in the same way and try to do, you know, like put my money where my mouth is, so to speak. And, and yeah. And I got to say, like, I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't had a chance to read the book yet, but, um, I'm, I'm familiar with the, with the, the idea of the book. Um, and quite a, quite a, quite a different, uh, a different task than writing something fiction. Um, like, yeah. like a fiction, a fictional story. You're, you're, the book is is essentially about your decision to open up your marriage, uh, you know, which is like highly vulnerable and 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 very like raw to put out into the world. So, how did that feel to you know to 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 actually sit down and and try to put those words to paper about something that was so you know being in the shoes of the people that you had coached for years? How did that mm -hmm. feel? Yeah. Um first, just to briefly clarify, it wasn't opening our marriage. It was opening our partnership. We're not married, but we have been together for over a decade now. I mean, it's been kind you. of the same difference right. to us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, <clears throat> sorry for the dead air. I had it and then I lost it. Can you repeat the question? How did it feel to like be in the shoes of the people that you had been coaching for so long to, yes. you know, try to try to take something that is so close to you, so raw, so vulnerable and, and just pour it out onto a page, hoping that one day someone will care to you yeah. know, read it. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I was taught early on, uh, by Tucker Max, who founded the company that I work for scribe. And he's also been my own writing mentor, uh, for several years. And he was always so big about tapping into a sense of service with every story that we tell, right? Like we tell it partially for us because we want to get it off our chests or we want to be seen or known, but we also know that by putting this story out in the world, what we hope to do is to help somebody else. And that was what 
I really, really latched on to in coaching other authors, especially when they got nervous about telling their own stories. We would like, we would sit down together and I would think through with them, okay, like who really needs to hear this and what are they suffering in in this moment right now? And where are they at and how will your story help them? And so it was that same mentality that helped me do the same thing in my work, because it is not an easy thing to, to sit down and write and think like, oh, Jesus, my mom is going to read this someday. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I was, I didn't think about my mom. Instead, I thought about uh, like when I was in the most pain and suffering in this situation, because it, it it's surely prided by being through the middle of the book. You've seen like, I made an absolute mess of my relationships in this time period. It was not all golden and rosy. And, and I looked so desperately for other stories of people in similar messes, like other people who had made the same kinds of mistakes and were trying to figure out how to, how to forgive themselves, how to feel worthy, you know, all of that. And I thought, I must not be the only person like me out there. And I also uh, had some friends who were going through relationship turmoil of their own. And so I thought about them and I thought about myself when I was kind of at my, in my darkest. And that always helped me stay in the chair and keep writing, even if what I was writing was really vulnerable and hard to admit to and, and felt like it was going to be hard to share someday. I just didn't think about the someday. I thought about those people. Mm. And it, I definitely feel it in the pages. There are like, there'd be like four page spans where I'd be like, I am so uncomfortable right now because <laughs> I relate, I was relating so much to the feelings that you were describing, whether it was, you know, jealousy or, you know, there's just like this one part that I was just reading where it's like, you're talking about how vague phrasing is is really dangerous when you're opening a relationship and, yeah. and how our interpretations of words can be different. And, and, and it's like, it's so, tr it feels so true. It felt so true to read some of these moments that I like, I wanted to put it down and stop reading it, but I also like really needed you to get me to the other side of <laughs> these like <laughs> uncomfortable feelings. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so I, it's, and it's such a, yeah, it's, it's a really well told story. And I think it will be, I related to so, so much in it that I, I would imagine it, even if you're not in an open relationship, you're not exploring other partners, the way that you talk about those jealous feelings and, and the, the self doubt and blame. And uh, I just, I think it will be of service to people. Mm. I know, I know it definitely felt good to know that, to, not that I didn't know this, but it always feels good to be like, okay, right. I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not mm -hmm. the only one who has these like uncomfortable feelings. And particularly with like the, the, the blame and the sort of like, uh, sort of inward direct directed, like. I want to say aggression. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah. speaking to yourself in those, in those ways, like I'm kind of curious to hear, I do want to talk about more of the story that that's in the book. Um, um, but I, I'm also really curious about that particular part of your, um, growth and healing is like getting past 
like what is it through the openness and exploring yourself in the relationship that you get to the other side of that particular negative spiral or does that require other work that's outside the relationship um, on your Mm -hmm. personal time? Gosh, I think it happens all of the above, right? Um, uh, A really great psychologist that I worked with a little bit, her name is Valerie Rain. She said that um, our wounding happens in community and so it also heals in community, right? And so there's a degree to which to heal my own self-talk, of course, I have to go do a lot of individual work and I did years of, of therapy that were really, really helpful. And- I also have to be able to bring that out in the world and and reflect with it with other people and get that sense of like healing coming not just from one source from me but but from everyone and from my relationships and and so I think it was both um but certainly the most helpful thing it's a, it's a really weird paradox because it was the the mess and the chaos that I'd created in my relationships that helped me ultimately realize like, oh, damn it, no one else is going to be able to solve this for me. Like nobody else can tell me what I want. Nobody else can help me figure out how to ask for what I want or or get what I need. And like that sounds so obvious to say it out loud, but uh, but I just literally had never really fully taken responsibility for myself in that way before. And I was, you know, trying to trying to figure out what I wanted, but always in the context of what the people around me wanted. And so a lot of this story is me untangling that. And a lot of the journey of becoming of of opening our relationship was really about like pulling back the rules a little bit and saying like, we're not going to just default to a particular structure to dictate what our desire is and follow that. Like, let's peel that away and see what is our desire if we, if we let the field be more open. Mm. And so it really helped me come in contact with what it was that I wanted um, in some really, really messy ways, but ultimately in some really gratifying ones by the end. What was the, can we talk about like the, the catalyst to, to having that initial conversation about opening the relationship in the first place? Like what were the things that culminated to that moment where you, you guys decided, okay, are, are we going to, can we take the plunge here to see what happens if we open things up? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of little subtle moments. You know, we, the book starts with that conversation. It starts with uh, my partner coming to me and saying, hey, I, I'm interested in somebody and I'm interested in opening our relationship. And um, But that converse, the seeds of that conversation started years earlier. We used to, we still do, take road trips all the time. And so we'd be on these long, like 12-hour drives and we would listen to Savage Love because it's that is the best podcast, in <laughs> right. my opinion, for like sparking conversation. And, you know, so we'd listen to 10 minutes and then stop it and then have a discussion for four hours and then come back uh, to the next 10 minutes of the show. And um, And so often, a lot of the questions that we were stopping to talk about was people calling in with sometimes it was like polyamory questions, like how to open their relationship, but it was also questions of like, uh, this person cheated on me. What do I do? Or, uh, I want to cheat on my partner. And how do I, how do I stop that desire or whatever it is? And so we had all these various, um, 
sort of like stimulated conversations from the podcast about what would we think would happen if one of us cheated on the other? Like, does that feel like something that we could rebound from? And how can we really accept that we're, we think we're going to be together for a lifetime. So like, how do we accept that we are going to have changing desire across our lives? And are we going to be okay talking about that with each other? And do we want to do anything about that? Um, and so it really was these years of, of conversations where that, that was all hypothetical where the stakes were so low because we weren't at all planning to make any changes to our relationship at the time that I think got us a lot more comfortable with, you know, when eventually years down the road, we started thinking about, do we want to try this out? Um, mm. That it made us both open to that. Yeah. Do, you rec- do you recall any feelings, even though it was hypothetical in those early days, do you recall like icky feelings coming with the, the just, just, by way of having the conversation about like, you know, infidelity or, or, you know, opening up the relationship or, you know, what if this, what if that? Yeah. I, back when the conversation was hypothetical, I remember thinking if I ever get cheated on, it's something I want to be able to come back from because like, you know, all sorts of circumstances lead to people making decisions like that. And I want, I, I would see it as like a signal that something in our connection needs to be, you know, reconnected or, or, um, or deepened. And also that like, I knew I would be really, really hurt. And I thought I wouldn't want to know anything at all. Um, that it would be like, okay, that we'll just shut the door. That'll be a thing in the past if it happens. And like, we're going to move on from there. And I was really surprised when we did open up our relationship that the way it felt um, for, for my partner to have a relationship, I felt exactly the opposite. I actually, it turned out that I wanted to know everything. And I was like really excited to be the best friend gabbing about like what was <laughs> going on in that relationship. And right. so, um, yeah, it was like, it was a funny thing that the hypotheticals, I think, both helped prepare us for that situation, but also didn't end up panning out in reality at all. Reality mm-hmm. was totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we found that was also the case with yeah. us. Um, yeah. You know, the things you sort of try to mentally prepare yourself for are not the things that end up actually like getting you in the feelings. It, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that experience alone can show us a lot about like what our desires are and what our like real fears are. Um, would, what, what were, were your fears when you kind of started embarking on the open relationship journey? Oh yeah. I mean, I think this is a very, like, very common fear. I feared that my partner would find somebody better, quote unquote better and leave me, you know? Um, and I had to really sit with that and interrogate that. And I think another thing that fed into that fear was that we weren't married. And one of the reasons we weren't married was that we always said, like, for us, our relationship is one that we choose every day. It's not, we don't stay together because we've dictated it (laughs) because, you know, we haven't like boxed ourselves in with any kind of legal parameter. And so Uh, so there was this deep fear of like, okay, well, if my partner 
what, what if he stops choosing me? What if he's, what if he consistently just chooses someone else? And that ultimately was a gift because it got me to tackle like a whole set of beliefs about my relationship that I didn't realize I had. Like, I believe a relationship is only successful if, if that one person is like above and above all others. Mm. <laughs> I don't believe that anymore, but, uh, but that was a belief that was running under the surface at the time. And, um, and the other big belief that crumbled was that I realized that I wouldn't feel worthy if I got rejected by, you know, this main partner that I'd spent half, <laughs> half of a decade with more than that at that point. And so, um, having to really at the bottom of both of those fears and both of those beliefs crumbling is, is this like what is in me if my ship is not the thing that defines worth. And so that really helped me realize that I needed to take responsibility for that and not pin it on the relationship to fulfill for me. Turn me on podcast. We'll be back after this short break. 
I didn't, I didn't want to treat it like a coming out exactly. Like I didn't want to go to people and explicitly say like, Hey, this is my relationship style now, or this is my relationship status now. And this is mm. what's going on with me. Something about that just felt like it sets that experience apart as an experience that isn't just a normal, natural part of life and relationship evolution. And so I was, I felt pretty committed to like, just go up with the people that I'm spending my life with and treat it as natural and normal and address questions if they arise or, you know, label that person as my girlfriend or my boyfriend if somebody asks, but otherwise like, this is just me living my life and I'm going to let you respond however you need to it. Mm. And that actually worked. It worked really well. That felt really good. Um, in terms of like around town and, and meeting friends with new partners and that sort of thing. And it was a bigger deal to navigate that same space with like my parents who don't live in the same town I do. Right. And mm. so that has to be an explicit conversation just because when else is it going to come <laughs> up? Right. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and in the book I write, there's a, a lot of that book devoted to kind of examining my terror around coming out to my parents as something that's very different than, you know, a traditional relationship. Um, but then deciding to publish it in the book and share that as the book. <laughs> it was partially I'd kind of already done the work for myself. You know, by the time the book came out, everyone that I deeply cared about already knew that this, this was what it was. And so the book didn't contain anything that was going to be a surprise to anyone that I, that I loved. Um, but then there was this other, just bigger fear of like, am I inviting people to comment on my life now? Yeah, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and am I comfortable with that? And what is that going to feel like? Mm -hmm. And I had so much fear that it would get a lot of negative reception or that I would become some magnet for people that, uh, that disagree with the choices that I've made in my life and that I'd have to justify or explain myself but the reality is that since this book has been published, I've been a magnet for exactly the opposite for the people mm. that have had similar experiences or um, want to learn how to be similarly vulnerable. And that's been really, really beautiful. So it's almost like when it came to the book, I had to jump in with a leap of faith and then just see what, <laughs> see what happened. Cause it, mm. it wasn't, it didn't, do me any good to try to game that out in my mind or try to pre-plan it. I'm really curious about the title of the book. Um, Please make me love me. Um, it's very codependent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what, what is, I, I, I mean, again, as, as the, as the person who only doesn't read unless there's pictures, um, uh, is there, is there like an, an element to the book that, um, that really like kind of focuses in on, the importance of self-love. What What is the meaning behind the title? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think the book is entirely a book about self-love that just has the open relationship thing as kind of the, the package that it comes in, mm. but it's really about learning how I worked so hard to fill my life with people who would love me and reflect love back to me 
only to make a mess of things and realize like, that's not anybody else's job. Mm. Uh, and even if it, it like, it's just not something that anybody else can really do. Um, because even when, even when things were at their hardest, when I was in conflict with each of my partners in, at various stages, even then they still reflected love back to me. Like even in the middle of fights, we had very loving conversations and it wouldn't ever sink in unless I let it, unless I let myself absorb it. Right. Like I, I saw that I had a pattern of just shutting down and not, not absorbing that and deflecting it. And I think where the title really comes from is like when I have a mental habit of that and a, a mental self dialogue of like, no, internally at the bottom of your core, you're not a worthy person. The, the thing that then the soul reaches for is like all of these mm. indicators that I am worthy of love. And so it was like, I was constantly reaching outside of myself for somebody to prove that to me. And that's what that, that's what that mm. title is meant to meant to denote it do you think that making that realization came from the experience of of navigating an open relationship or were you aware of that sense of yourself even before kind of dipping your toes into that journey that's an interesting question i don't think i was very aware of it i knew well i was aware that I struggled with self-worth. I've I've often throughout periods of my life struggled with anxiety and that's always been kind of at the the core of it when it rears its head. But I think that opening our relationship and going into that journey it sort of raised the stakes on all of those issues. It made them all bigger and much more apparent. And so it was like I finally really couldn't look away from it anymore. I couldn't hide behind it. And I had to face it and address it. And facing it and addressing it for me didn't, it didn't look like much. It really just learned, looked like learning to sit with my emotions, even when I felt really awful and not, yeah. not shy away from that and, and keep practicing staying present with that. When I think back to like when Bridie and I, um, opened our relationship like a number of years ago. Um, it didn't take long for that, for it didn't take long. Once that process started, it, it didn't take long for me to start to realize like how much I was learning about myself by, by leaning into that practice with Bridie and with, with others. And, um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm always curious to talk to people who've, who've taken that leap into polyamory or open relationships to kind of just pick their brain about things that maybe they learned in that process that might've surprised them or like they didn't really see coming. Do you, do you, do you have anything that you can recall that you, you thought, Oh, wow. Interesting. I never, I never knew this about me or I never knew this about the world or I never really thought about things this way until I started doing this. I didn't realize how few boundaries I had before going into <laughs> open relationships. I think that's pretty common for, for a lot of people. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize 
that I wasn't, what's the way to say this clearly? I can think of, of an actual example to illustrate it. I just don't know how to describe it. The example is um, that I read the book, Nonviolent Communication, uh, which is so excellent. And there's just this one phrase he has in there that uh, he talks about separating your your own emotional state from whatever it is that another person has done that you felt that way as a result. And so instead of like blaming that person for the way that you feel, which is the way that my language always was, right? Like I feel angry because you did blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, he talks about saying, I feel angry when I see you do this or when I experience this from you. And I remember the first time I applied that in a fight with one of my partners, I was angry about something that they'd done. And I was like shaking. I was so, I was so emotional over this thing. And I realized that by forcing myself into that sentence frame, like I, I felt angry because I saw you did blah, blah, blah. Um, finally got me to see the boundary between what's in my experience and what's in their experience. Mm. And in that moment, I realized that I had been just assuming that my experience was part of their experience always and that they would know how I would feel. And so like, it just compounds it that they would do it, even though they would know how I would feel that sort of thing. And so figuring out like where I end and my partner begins has been a huge lesson for me and an ongoing one. Mm. Um, that's been really, really amazing and helpful. I can imagine some people hearing that, like like myself, maybe hearing that phrase uh, for the second or third time, like where I end and my partner begins. And I know someone else out there is going, what does that mean? <laughs> like, it's so, it's like I kind of can grasp it conceptually, but like, what does that actually I guess you just described it in like an argument type situation, but where else, like what else, what other examples of that could help illustrate what that means? Because I think it's really common for people. Yeah. I mean, not to use another similar illustration from another fight, but there was another time that I was in conversation with a partner where they were upset at something I had done. And I would get constantly in these cycles of like, as soon as I saw them upset, I then kind of couldn't keep my shit together and would start getting upset. And then it was like, the conversation was no longer about what they were upset about and how we're going to problem solve that. It was now about me, <laughs> right? And my emotions and like how I can't deal. And, and so because I... Like that, that's not just a symptom of me not knowing where I end and my partner begins, but like me not knowing where my partner ends so that I can hold the space that I need. And so it was like, I was constantly getting our experiences sort of wrapped and tangled in my mind. And I, I just literally could not hold steady in what my own reality was and what I needed moment to moment. I love that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. What, where do you think you would be now in life and in your relationship if you hadn't opened things up? If you had just kind of been like, yep, you and me mm. alone, just the two of us doing this forever till we're <laughs> dead. <laughs> I mean, in in essence, that's um, 
It's a little bit where I'm at now after the, where the book ends is with me ending relationships with, with all the, the external, the other, other partners that I'd had. And so now I'm back with my original partner and it's just the two of us and we're monogamous again. And so it almost like on the outside, it feels like nothing has changed. We've got like a house and a dog and like all the classic, like bedded down, nested, coupled things. But internally, I am a very, very different person because I'm so much more connected to myself and so much more aware. And so without the the pressure that the open relationship scenarios had put on me to develop that, I... I, th- I don't know that I would understand as much about myself and I don't think I would feel as compassionate. <laughs> this is a weird way of saying it. I don't think I would feel as compassionate toward other people and their human mess as I do now, because mm. I was able to discover like the compassion I needed in myself to hold myself well through my own mess. It's, I really think I'd nice. be more judgmental. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's nice to know that you can, I feel like Esther Perel talks about this a little bit, but where you're like, you're in a, in a union of some kind with someone, whether it's a parent or a lover, and there's that drive, you know, that the child has from its parent to like go out and explore, but they want to know that you're still going to be there when mm-hmm. they want to come back. And I think that's a really beautiful, that's a really beautiful thing that you guys were able to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, it's, it's such an amazing testament to our relationship that I actually marvel at a lot is that we were able to go through that together and are still, you know, stronger now and, and still just as connected or more connected than ever before. Um, yeah, I haven't had another relationship in my life that has been like that has evolved so much in these ways. It's, it's been really beautiful. Do you, do you see yourselves opening up that door again anytime in the future or, or does it feel like that was, that was the, that chapter in life and that chapter will uh, likely not come back? There's no, not going to be a part two to the memoir. Yeah, no sequels to no the sequel. chapter. <laughs> I, I honestly couldn't say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's, in large part to seeing how much this part of our history changed me is like, I've understand now that I really can't predict that I'll have the same wants and desires and needs forever, you know? So I I really don't know. Um, I don't feel a need to bring on additional romantic relationships now, but I noticed now that I am much more focused on fostering deeper friendships and much more intimate friendships than I had before, Mm. um, which has been really a beautiful, beautiful journey. And I think to some degree that's fulfilling, you know, my for connection and fulfilling things that my previous partnerships had. Mm -hmm. I, I discovered by opening our relationship that I am not straight, that I'm queer. And so uh, for sure I could foresee a future where a desire to be with women on a romantic way comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't feel it now or I don't feel a need to fulfill that now. So again, it's just, it's hard to say, but I guess 
this whole journey has taught me to be a lot more adaptable and to be a lot more honest and mm. to be willing to bring that up when it comes up and, and whether, uh, whether whatever changes as mm -hmm. a result. And I think yeah. that's like, that's, that's nice. That's a nice thing to have that, to have that ability to accept that maybe it will change and that's okay. You know, that's mm -hmm. not, it's a, uh, maybe a little bit different from, I, I feel like a lot of people, Maybe there's a number of people listening to this right now that like have that sort of notion in their head where it's, well, I could never, I could never imagine my partner being with somebody else. I could never imagine me being with somebody else. Like that is just absolutely fucking insane. I could never see it, but really never say never because like I said those same things before Bridie and I opened up our relationship and, and then mm -hmm. you know, lo and behold, we ended up going through that entire process and and now I look at, I kind of, I see the world in a bit of a similar way where it's like, well, you never really know. You never know what might come up, what kind of conversations will lead to what, um, you know, it's, it, the, the possibilities are, are endless as long as you're open to navigating those possibilities from a place of love and patience and, you know. I, I, just while you were speaking about that, it occurred to me this mindfulness inquiry that um i heard recently and i can't remember who to attribute it to but it was um kind of in those moments of no absolutely not ab could not do that will not be me is uh what what are you unwilling to feel and mm -hmm. yeah that you know when i was reading your book and those like i you know it's been a long time since i felt some of those feelings but it it's it's lives very physically mm. in you know we can all almost all put ourselves in the place of like this is what jealousy feels like mm -hmm. physically and mentally you know and it and it, at the end of the day it's like if you can sit with it and and observe it and watch it come in its waves and watch it you know dissolve a little bit then you realize like oh like feelings aren't going to kill me so if that's possible then what else is possible mm -hmm. anyway just wanted to for some reason pipe up with that Emily um, <laughs> uh, again folks the book is called Please Make Me Love Me a memoir uh, where can people find the book where can people find you and you know maybe keep up with the work that you're doing maybe a future book in the in the uh, in, the, in the sites, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my wife, my wife, well, uh, tongue tied. My website is emilygindelsberger.com. Uh, I assume you won't know how to spell my last name, but I have checked Google, and when you misspell my last name, it still comes up. So I, we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the book is on Amazon. Please make me love me. I also blog on Medium and uh, can be found on Instagram at Emily Gindle. Amazing. Emily, uh, this has been a really lovely conversation. Um, we we want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to sit down with us. This has been really fun. Thank you. Thank you. Fun for me too. So such a great conversation. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, 
Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You You're can go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on. Uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turnmeonpodcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch if you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that. Sex toy. <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. Why don't you go touch yourself? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.